This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, we'll uh, look back at day one of the West Virginia Boys Basketball Tournament. We'll see how Pendleton County, Tucker County, and Moorfield fared. Did any of them advance uh, to the semifinals? We'll also preview today's games, including uh, a triple-A matchup uh, with Hampshire and Robert C. Bird. The NHL. As much as I love hockey, the NHL never ceases to amaze me because the league absolutely embarrassed itself yesterday over the Tom Wilson situation, and we'll get into that. Also, Yankees fans don't forget, and even more on the Aaron Rodgers drama, which just it won't end until the Packers end it one way or another. All that and more coming up on today's Rush. So there you go. I I did that wrong. That's not normally how I go into the next part. I don't even know what I did there. I, I completely lost my train of thought. All that coming up in the next two hours of today's show. There you go. See, that's what it was. That's what it usually is. I lost my flow. I lost my mojo there. I, I went off the path and did something different and completely screwed myself up. Anyway, good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another Essential Workday. Several ways to get involved on this show, as always. Our Twitter page is at ESPN Morning Rush. Or my personal page, at Rush Tony C. Our Facebook page, at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. All those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, message them, drop me a line. DMs are open, as the kids say. Get involved. Also, taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shummo, 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus commercials, just for you. It's not for me. I know what the show sounded like because I, I do it. I don't need to go back and listen to it again. If you miss any part of the show, of any show, it's up there. That's why we do it. All right. Uh, let's start today as we start pretty much every day. Uh, speaking of starting every day, a little uh, programming note for you here. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Uh, mark your calendars. Uh, if people even use calendars anymore, I don't know. Do they uh, put it in your phone or tablet or however you keep track of uh, dates? Uh, Monday is it Monday, May seventeenth? Is that right? That's right. Yeah, Monday, May seventeenth. Some changes here to the station. Uh, the show is moving. Monday, May seventeenth, we'll be on from six to eight in the a.m. All right, so. Week and a half left of 7 to 9. 
And then Monday, May 17th, 6 to 8. So there you go. Mark it down. And that's it. That's all That's all we have. That's And there's more to it, which we'll get to uh, more into it next week. Several changes coming up here on the station. But as far as this show is concerned, that's the big change. Monday, May 17th, uh, 6 to 8. All right. Uh, let's rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with high school basketball. Day one of the West Virginia Boys State Tournament in Charleston. We'll get more into these games in just a bit. However... Result-wise, Pendleton County ran its win streak to 39 with a 59-45 win over Greenbrier West in the Class A quarterfinals. Elsewhere in Class A, number one man used a 32-point third quarter to pull away from Tucker County and beat the Mountain Lions 74-34. And in Double A, number one Williamstown ended Moorefield season with a 67 232 win. Again, much more on those games coming up here in just a bit. In high school softball, little softball action on today's show. Alexa Shoemaker hit a pair of home runs and drove in four as Kaiser beat Frankfurt 14-3. Shoemaker's second homer of the game was her eighth of the season, which is a Kaiser record. It was also her 14th career homer, which is also a Kaiser school record. In Major League Baseball, the Pirates were in San Diego last night taking on the pods, trying to snap a five-game losing streak. There goes Gonzalez again. Ground ball onto second base. Cronenworth collects it, throws on to first. The throw home with Gonzalez coming in and scoring on the play. Gonzalez never stopped. He turned around third and scored from second base on a ground ball. Joe blocked the call on the Pirates Radio Network 2-1 the final as the Bucks snapped their five-game slide and their 22-inning scoreless streak. Uh, Mitch Keller threw five and two-thirds shutout innings, and Brian Reynolds had two doubles and an RBI for Pittsburgh. Elsewhere, the Braves and starting pitcher Huascar Inoa had a grand old time in Washington. A one-pitch. Fastball swung on and hit well to center field. Retreating Robles at the wall. It's gone! The grandest of all home runs for Wastar Inoa. Can you believe it? To dead center field. He can't keep the smile off his face as he turns third to trot home. A grand slam and a 6-0 lead for the Braves. How do you like me now? The call on 680, the fan in Atlanta. Uh, excuse me. <clears throat> that grand slam got me all choked up. A granny and seven innings of four-hit ball for Enoa as the Braves beat the Nationals 6-1. to one. It was the first grand slam by a major league pitcher since the Reds' Anthony Desclafani hit one in June of 2018. And Enoa became the first pitcher in Braves history to homer in consecutive starts. And in Seattle, the Orioles uh, lost to the Mariners 5-2. Rio Ruiz homered for the O's. In the NFL, the Ravens crossing enemy lines. And they signed former Steelers offensive lineman Alejandro Villanueva to a two-year deal yesterday. 
Uh, the deal is worth $14 million with $8 million guaranteed. Now, Villanueva, a two-time Pro Bowler, played the last six seasons at left tackle for Pittsburgh, but will play right tackle in Baltimore. He will basically take Orlando Brown Jr. spot since Baltimore traded Brown to Kansas City. I don't know how I feel about that. You never want one of your players to go play for the rival. Right? You you never want to see that because they know all the secrets. I think Villanueva's washed up. He did not have a very good year last year. He's 32. He's on the downside. So I wasn't really all that upset to see that as a Steelers fan and see that happen yesterday. But like I said, he knows all the secrets. He could definitely help the Ravens prepare for the Steelers twice uh, next season. How he performs, that's another matter. Uh, On the ice last night, the Penguins were trying to once again move back into first place in the East Division. Gensel behind his back, Rust Crosby fires, he scores! Sidney Crosby again! Still amazes me. Steve Mears and Bob Airy, the call, the very short call on AT&T Sportsnet. Two goals and an assist for Crosby to lead the Pens past the Flyers a 7-3 in Philly a night after Philly beat the Pens 7-2. With the victory, the Pens moved two points ahead of Washington for first place in the East Division. Tonight, the Caps will try to keep pace when they take on the Rangers in New York that game Uh, Should be very interesting. And we'll talk about that later on in the show. And tonight in the NBA, big game for the Red Hot Wizards as they hit the road to take on the Bucs. Washington has won 13 of its last 16 games. Currently sit in the 10th spot in the Eastern Conference, a half game behind Indiana. Now the Pacers, a pretty... uh, a much easier task tonight because they host Sacramento. So you would think it's a tall task for the Wizards to go on the road and beat Milwaukee in Milwaukee. But anything can happen, right? So there's a pretty good chance that come tomorrow morning, the Pacers will have a game and a half lead for that ninth spot. But you never know. You never know. Maybe, you know, Sacramento pulls the upset. The Wizards upset the Bucks. Things happen. But anyway, we'll talk about that tomorrow morning. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you uh, by the Cap Rally Group. Uh, a couple baseball things real quick. Uh, good to see Mitch Keller have a decent outing for the Pirates. And after his last start, which he got shellacked, I started the question... You're like, how soon can you label somebody a bust? Because Mitch Keller uh, was supposed to be the next great thing for the Pirates, the next great uh, pitching prospect after Tyler Glass now, right? Like, Keller was the one. He was the savior. They moved him up probably. They fast-tracked him to the bigs probably too soon. He's had a hard time adjusting. And he went into last night's game with a, a robust ERA of 8.20. So good to see him come out last night and throw five and two-thirds shutout ball. Pirates, at least they finally scored a couple runs, which is what they needed. 
right? Because they hadn't scored. They were shut out two games in a row. They hadn't scored a run in 22 straight innings. They get an RBI double from Reynolds. They get uh, really just a, a freak run because Eric Gonzalez scored from second on a ground ball to the infield. <laughs> he was running on the pitch, and he just never stopped running. Ball was hit, throw to first, and he just kept on going. When you're struggling to score, sometimes that's how you got you to manufacture runs like that. So the Pirates get the win. They snap their five-game losing streak. Uh, San Diego, they just, they're not impressive at all. I'm sorry. They are just, right now, because the pods were supposed to be, you know, the, the heir apparent to the NL West or, or the one team that could really give the Dodgers fits this year. Like, the, the greatest threat to the Dodgers' throne was going to be the San Diego Padres. They made all these moves, and they got uh, uh, not Ian Snell. He pitched for the Pirates, right? Blake, no. Which one? I'm confused on my Snells. <laughs> there was a Snell that pitched for the Pirates, and now the who's who pitches for? Is it Blake or Ian? It doesn't matter. They get Snell from the Rays, that guy. They get Musgrove from the Pirates. Then they also get you Darvish as well. They have this, this stacked lineup, and it, they're just not impressive. Like right now, the pods are 17 and 14. Actually, the pods and the Dodgers are both 17 and 14, and we're both looking up at the Giants in the NL West standings. The Pirates and the pods have played six times this year. They've split three and three. San Diego, just not as good as it's, – it's early. Okay? It, it, the season is barely a month old. So plenty of, you know, time to turn things around. But San Diego, who I thought was going to be this juggernaut this year, they're just, they haven't been that great. They only have a run differential of plus 14. That's it. By comparison, the Giants have a differential of plus 31. The Dodgers plus 38. The Pods only plus 14. So we'll see. A game three of that series is tonight in San Diego. We'll see if the Pirates can win that series. Nationals, they, uh, boy, they're just, they're struggling. They're, I mean, <laughs> look, I look at the NL East. It's really amazing when you, you think about it. The Nationals went into last night's game in first place in the East at 12 and 12. They lose last night to the Braves. So now the Nats are in second place at 12 and 13. The Phillies at 15 and 15 are now in first in the East. That division is a jumbled mess. And really, when you look at it, there aren't that many great divisions this year. I mean, again, early on. Not many teams have really stood out. The Giants have been surprising in the West. They're 18 and 12. I don't think anybody expected that. You look at the NL Central, the Cards are in first, the Brewers are in second, and nobody else has a winning record. The East, I just told you about the East. Maybe the most competitive right now is the AL West. You have three teams over 500. The Central does as well. It's just like nobody, nobody's really that special this year. Yet, yeah, it's early. 
the A's, I'm trying to see who has the best record. The A's have the best record, 19 and 12. Was that it? Yeah, the A's are seven games over. They're the only team seven games over. Everybody else six over. It's it's just everything is a jumbled mess now in, in baseball. Nobody, and again, it's early. It's early. I said it already. It's early. Plenty of time to make separation. And that's usually over the course of a five-month season. It happens. Eventually, the cream rises to the top. It's always too early. We were talking about the Yankees a couple weeks ago and how Yankees fans were, you know, pushing the panic button because they got off to a slow start. And now look at them. They're in second place in the East. They won last night. They're a game over, and they're only two and a half behind the Red Sox. Right now, we're talking about the Padres and the Dodgers struggling. It's too early to panic. Eventually, the cream rises to the top, and they'll take over the West, you would think. You would think the Giants would fall off. The furthest the team is back in the standings in any division is seven because the Rockies, they stink out loud. The Rockies are seven back of the Giants uh, in the West. That's it. Oh, I'm sorry. The Tigers are nine back because they're all the Tigers are eight and twenty-two. Their season's over. Forget it. See, the Orioles are in last place in the uh, AL East, but they're only four back. They're fourteen and sixteen. Still a lot of ball to play. Still a lot of ball to play. All right. Speaking of a lot of ball to play, uh, the uh, West Virginia Boys State Tournament started yesterday in Charleston. Day number one. Of, uh, what is it, five, I guess now, with the extra classification. We'll get into what happened yesterday, how things shook out with Moorfield, Pendleton County, and Tucker County. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Looking at uh, the baseball standings at the end of uh, the first segment of the show, which is really a futile effort this early in the season, but I did it anyway because it's my show and I I can. But a couple of things jumped out at me during the break. Just looking at some of these teams' uh, run differentials. Now, look, run differential isn't the end-all, be-all when it comes to determining, you know, a good team from a bad team. But one thing that just jumped off the page is that the team, and we talked about the mess that the NL East is right now, which I said when we previewed the season that they would be the best division in all of baseball. Right now, it's it might be the most mediocre. The team with the best run differential in the NL East is the last place team. As a matter of fact, the last place team, the Marlins, is the only team in the NL East with a plus run differential, which is amazing. The Marlins are 12-16, and 16, and again, they're only two games back because the division stinks right now. Their run differential is a, is a, is a plus 10. Everybody else, Phils, Nats, Mets, Braves, negative run differential. In the NL Central, it's just the opposite. The first place Cardinals, they're a plus 20 run differential. Everybody else is negative. 
The Pirates, surprisingly, because of how good their bullpen has been. Of course, they can't score runs. So I guess that does make sense. They're a minus 27 uh, run differential. Want to take a guess on who the worst uh, in the in baseball is? The worst run differential? We talked about them last segment. Worst team in baseball, Tigers. 8-22 and 22 record. Their run differential is minus 66. The best... I do believe, is it's the Dodgers at plus 38. And they're tied for second in the NL West. But anyway, again, uh, run differential, not exactly the end-all, be-all, but some of those numbers, interesting. All right, uh, high school hoops. Yesterday, day one of the boys' state tournament in Charleston. And one of the better teams in the state, over the last couple of years has been Pendleton County. The only undefeated team in any class in the entire state. If Pendleton County extends its win streak to 41 games, they will be able to call themselves Class A state champions. For now, uh, they'll be happy with 39 straight after yesterday's uh, 59-45 win over Greenbrier West. The Wildcats and their 6-3 big men, they have two 6-3 big men, Josh Alt and Bailey Thompson, absolutely dominant inside. Alt had 25 points and 13 boards. Bailey had 13 points and eight rebounds. Only five, and in this day and age of basketball, this is shocking. Only five of Pendleton's 44 shots came from a three-point range. And the game was actually close because uh, Pendleton was down by one. Alt had seven points in the third quarter when Pendleton got rid of that one-point deficit at halftime to go up 47-41. to uh, Here's Pendleton coach, uh, Ryan Lambert. We did a great job. We didn't need to make any adjustments at halftime, but what we did, what we did is we, we found a level of uh, just us coming to, you know, being comfortable out there, getting our feet wet. We've not been here, obviously. Uh, we we're hoping to make a ride last year, but didn't didn't happen. But proud of these kids, proud of the culture they've created, uh, proud of the buy-in all the way around. Yeah, yeah. Remember, they didn't get a chance last year. They were undefeated last year, and never got a chance to play in a state tournament. So they turn around and go undefeated this year. And they're still undefeated. And they win yesterday, their 39th straight win. Uh, it was still relatively close in the fourth quarter. It was, it was 49-41 uh, when Greenbrier's leading scorer, Caden Pack, fouled out with almost seven minutes left to play. After he fouled out, Greenbrier made just one field goal the rest of the game. Just one. They shot 1 of 15 in the fourth quarter, 5 of 25 in the second half. And a lot of that you attribute to Pendleton's defense. It's been great all season long. They still haven't allowed a team to score more than 50 points in a game this year. So they get it done defensively. They get it done inside. Again, they scuffled in the first half, down by one at the half, come back in the second half. They win and they advance, which is all you want to do in the state tournament. In another uh, Class A quarterfinal, 
man, man high school, again, it's weird just saying man, just went off on Tucker County in the third quarter. They outscored the Mountain Lions 32-7 to in the third frame, and they pulled away and they cruised to a 74-34 uh, win. The top-seeded Hillbillies, still one of the greatest nicknames ever, they led by just four with under six minutes left in the first half. Pulled away just a bit in the final minutes to lead 32-20 at the break. And then just absolutely blew things wide open in the third quarter. Here's man head coach T.J. Blevins. I thought we executed very good in the second half. I didn't like too much how we played in the first half. Uh, got onto them pretty hard in the locker room. Challenged them, each and every one of them. And uh, what you've seen in the third quarter is usually what we're used to seeing every quarter with these guys. A uh, little little reverb there with the audio. Someone down in Charleston needs to fix <laughs> fix that issue. Uh, Tucker County shot just 6-29 in the first half. 16 of their 26 offensive rebounds came in the first two quarters, which is why they were really able to hang around as long as they did. And Tucker actually out-rebounded man for the game, 53-45, but uh, they turned the ball over 27 times. And you turn the ball over 27 times, you're going to have a hard time beating anybody, especially a team as good as man. In the third quarter, man goes on a 22-0 run that put the game out of reach. And Austin Ball was the man for man, pardon the pun. He had 27 points on 11-for-20 shooting, pulled down 13 boards, three blocks, three steals. And he made some history. Uh, He threw down a dunk late in the first half for career point number 1,000. For Tucker, uh, Zach Colbank had 16 points. Austin Licklider had 10. Problem is, outside of those two, everybody else on Tucker County shot one for 34 from the field. So if it wasn't Colbank and Licklider, nobody else was scoring. One of 34, the rest of the team. Because of that, Mountain Lions are done. They end their season at 12-6. and six. Man improves to 14 and 2 and uh, moves on to the semifinals where they will play number 4 Webster County tomorrow night. Webster advanced with a 48-42 win over number 5 uh, Clay Battelle. Pendleton, which is now 16 and 0, will face second-seeded Tug Valley by far their toughest test of the season. Uh, Tug beat Cameron yesterday 69-55 that game tomorrow morning at 11:15. In double A yesterday, or more precisely last night, Moorfield's magical run came to an end. Uh, they lost to top-seeded Williamstown 67-32. Moorfield, we talked about it before, they made the state tournament by winning its last five games of the season after an 11-game losing streak. But uh, Williamstown, way too much, as expected, way too much. They got a 6'3 kid named Baylor Hot, who was hot. He had 21 points on 10 of 15 shooting, and he also pulled down 12 rebounds. Moorfield could not buy a shot. They were just 5 of 22 in the first half and only scored two points in the paint the entire night. And when you're unable to score inside, 
You need to hit from the outside. And they couldn't do that either. They made just three of 25 three-pointers for the game. And Williamstown head coach uh, Scott Sorrow praised his team for the uh, defensive effort. I thought we came out, um, and, I, and really for the entire game, I thought we defended pretty well. Um, you know, our, our communication was great. Um, I thought the kids were really you do, doing the things in our man defense that, that we asked them to do to be successful. So I thought that that was, that was a great part uh, of what we did today. Um, it gave us a chance to really limit them offensively. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at their, their shooting percentage was low today, and I think these kids did a great job of, of causing that to happen. So Moorfield ends the season at 6-12, and 12, and really you got to give them credit for them bouncing back after that 1-11 start to get all the way to Charleston. It would have been really easy at any point of that 11-game losing streak for them to just cash it in, to say, you know what, this isn't the year, this isn't, you know, it's a pandemic-crazy year, it's just not going to be good enough. But they bounce back. It's not very often you lose 11 straight and then win five straight. But they did, and they made it to the state tournament. So credit credit to them for ending the season, even though it's in a loss, but they still ended the season in a, in a positive way by getting uh, to the state tournament. Williamstown is now 15-1 and one and moves on to the semifinals to face number 5 Chapmanville. The Tigers, a mini upset, over number four Clay County, uh, 46-38. Six-foot-six freshman Zion Blevins, 18 points and eight rebounds for Chapmanville, which, since there was no state tournament last year, still the two-time defending state champion. And that semifinal, Williamstown-Chapmanville, uh, Friday afternoon at 1. The other two AA quarterfinals will be played today. Number three, Charleston Catholic, and number six, Ritchie County, will meet at 11-15. And number two, Apoka, and number seven, Bluefield, will play tonight at 7-15. Also today, all four AAA quarterfinals will be played, and we'll talk about those four games next, including Hampshire's game with number one, Robert C. Bird. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Uh, Recapping day one of the West Virginia Boys State Tournament yesterday. Pendleton County moving on. Uh, Tucker County and Moorfield uh, coming back home. Pendleton winning their 39th straight game, which is amazing when you think about it. Uh, Tucker County and Moorfield, both game, just not good enough. I mean, they're playing talent. They're both eight seeds, playing number one seeds. And we talked about Moorfield and the improbable run to Charleston after, you know, they won their first game of the season, lost 11 straight. Then they won five straight. Here's something to keep in mind. I just saw this on Twitter that kind of reminded me here. They only lose one player from this year's team. That's it. Jaden C., who is the big fella in the middle, he's the only one that graduates. And Williamstown really keyed defensively on Jaden. Warfield only had two points in the paint last night. 
and Moorfield could not hit from the outside. Very low shooting percentage. So keep that in mind going into next year. 10 of 11. 10 of the 11 players who dressed last night for Moorfield coming back next year. They're going to be a handful for anybody uh, next season. And again, congrats on finishing the season, you know, on a pretty good run and uh, getting to the state tournament. Uh, we have four, all four AAA quarterfinals played today, including number eight, Hampshire, taking on number one, Robert C. Bird at 530. RCB comes in at 15 and one. The Trojans, they are sporting a record of 14 and two. And as we've talked about several times on the show, this will be the first state tournament game in Hampshire boys program history. And head coach Danny Alkire says, uh, here's what to expect from the Flying Eagles of RCB. We expect them to push the ball up, get in transition. And, uh, I mean, they're a, they're a tough-nosed defensive team as well. They're a well-oiled machine. So we're just going to try to disrupt the things that they do and then continue to do the things that we do well. And like I said, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, we're just going to try to put ourselves in that position to, to do what no one else thinks we have the chance of doing. But internally, we all, I mean, this, this week of practice has been great. We all believe we, we uh, have a, a good focus this week going into it. We've had some great practices, some of the best practices we've had. Uh, the kids are loose, but like I said, they're focused. So we're just going to do what we do and try to slow them down a little bit, and hopefully it's a grinded-out game. Uh, Robert Seabird, one of the favorites preseason to win uh, the state title. Only team to beat Morgantown this year. The only one. And Morgantown is a top seed in the quad A bracket. In the first triple-A quarterfinal, which is actually the first game of the day today at 9.30, number three, Shady Spring. I will take on number six, Herbert Hoover. And Hoover is extremely shorthanded. In their regional title game against Westside last, I think it was Friday, resulted in an apparent exposure to COVID, which put the entire Herbert Hoover team in quarantine. After having discussions with the health department and the school and whatnot, 12 Herbert Hoover varsity players not able to make the trip to Charleston, which is a daggone shame. The school decided, rather than forfeit, it would send whoever was available. So when they take on Shady Spring this morning, they will have eight players for the game. One starter and seven JV players. That's just, that's that's a shame. 12 varsity players unable to make the trip because of this stupid pandemic, this stupid COVID. And now they got to play the number three team in the bracket with one starter and seven JV players. At 1 o'clock today, number two, Fairmont Senior, 15-1 and one on the year, will face number seven, Winfield. And then a late game tonight, number four, Nitro, and number five, Wheeling Central. All uh, four quad-A quarterfinals play tomorrow. So all three triple-A today, all four quad-A tomorrow. And again, as we mentioned yesterday, if you're in or around the Kaiser area, which I, I will be today for a track meet, you can catch every game on our sister station, uh, AM 1390 in Kaiser. Also, the Hampshire boys game will be on 1390, and it will also be on our sister station, 
100.1 The Wolf. So you can check those games out there and everything also on our Mothership's website, wvmetronews.com. They stream those games as well. So several places to get uh, get involved with the high school hoops. And best of luck, especially uh, to Hampshire today. I don't know what it says. What does, does it say anything at all when it seems like every team from our area is a number eight seed? Does it say something? I don't want to call it a bias, but you had Tucker County, which was the number eight seed in Class A. You had Moorfield, which they should have been. They only had six wins. The number eight seed in AA. And now you got Hampshire, the number eight seed in AAA. And they're 14 and two. And I'm not particularly certain. How they how they see those teams? I don't know if it goes by region rankings or, or I don't know how it works. It just seems like anytime we have a team from this area region go to the state tournament, they're always like seventh or eighth. What about Quad A? What's Jefferson? Let me check it out here real quick. Let me consult the bones. I know this is riveting radio because our internet is so slow; it's it's painful. It's like we're using a dial up modem. Do we forget to put in the new AOL disc? The MindSpring CD? Here we go. Okay, Jefferson is the seventh seed in quality. So, so we at least escape the, the, the four-class, you know, bad juju. Jefferson is the seventh seed. Martinsburg is a three seed. Woodrow Wilson is uh, the eighth seed at 10 and 11. So there you go. And, of course, tomorrow's show, uh, we'll have all the breakdowns of all today's games, and we'll preview all the Quad A games. No update yet. We talked about this tragic story yesterday. Uh, the Woodrow Wilson player, uh, Dwayne Richardson, uh, shot and killed Sunday night. And, basically, the, the head coach left it up to the team, whether they wanted to play or not. And they said, yeah, we want to play. So they're going to play Morgantown tomorrow. That game, I do believe it is the first game of the afternoon session at 5.30. And checking the headlines today, still no update. You know, yesterday we said they had a person of interest in the shooting. There hadn't been any uh, arrests and no updates today as far as uh, that unfortunate situation uh, is concerned. And you got to, you know, you have to, nothing against Morgantown, but you have to pull for Woodrow Wilson, right? You have to. For them to go out and play a game tomorrow, under these circumstances, having lost one of their teammates, right, an 18-year-old kid, to go out there and, and play and play for him, you have to root for the upset. And again, no, Dave Tallman, great coach of Morgantown, they've had a great season. No offense to Morgantown. And you kind of wonder what kind of game it's going to be. If Woodrow Wilson can hang, you wonder, I don't know, that would be a tough, that would be an, an impossible game to coach if you were Woodrow Wilson's coach. It'd be a tough game to coach if you were coaching against him, too. It really would. Like, the whole situation, obviously, is terrible. But as I said, no updates uh, on that particular story, who that person of interest is, 
or if any arrests have been made. Of course, if, if I get more information, if it becomes available, then we will pass it along to you. All right, coming up next hour, we're going to rock around the region, and we will get into this absolute mess that the NHL has created for itself for absolutely falling on its face yesterday and being absolutely chicken bleep to properly punish Tom Wilson. And the Rangers are having none of it. That's coming up next. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland, ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Tony C. in the big chair, live uh, from the palatial ESPN studio, high atop Industrial Boulevard, at least 10 feet up, on the south side of the Queen City, baby. Glad to have you on board as we launch our number two. Hopefully, it's better than our number one. Not my best work, admittedly, uh, last hour. I felt last hour was just kind of herky-jerky, really no flow to it at all. And I just, like we went into last break, and I'm like, you know what? That wasn't very good. I didn't think so. When you're talking about all these games, like these tournament games and stuff, you're throwing out a bunch of numbers and stats and whatnot, and it, just, it tends to just be a little start and stop, a lot start and stop. That's how it felt. My flow, man, I, my mojo was gone. in the first, Hopefully we get it back this hour. Usually how it works when you're trying to put together how the show is going to run, how, how, you, you kind of lay everything out. You kind of game plan before the show starts and you get your topics together and you know what you're going to talk about and, and you put down your 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 central bullet points. And if, and if all you did was stick to those central bullet points, you would run through them in about a minute and a half, which would leave you about 15 minutes left <laughs> in the segment to fill. So what you do after you, as you, you have your bullet points you kind of throw in your opinion, you throw in your take on things, and that kind of fill you fill around the bullet points. It's generally how it works. I felt that my my fill in last hour wasn't up to snuff. It just wasn't very good. So maybe hopefully uh, this hour, uh, it's better. Several ways to get involved on the show. Check out our Twitter pages at ESPN Morning Rush. Uh, my Twitter page at Rush Tony C, uh, Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Again, those pages free and open to the public. Like them, follow them, and anytime you feel froggy, take the leap. Drop me a line, a message, got a question, a comment, an opinion, anything we talk about or anything you want to talk about, feel free. Also, uh, give us a call on the Rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shum on. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day, minus commercials. So you can go back and listen to anything you may have missed. For instance, if you missed the first hour, you missed a little baseball rundown, or Pirates, Nationals, uh, Orioles, and, and how weird the standings are early on in the season. 
and you missed us recapping day one of the boys' state tournament uh, in Charleston. Speaking of which, let's rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we will start with day one of the boys' state tourney. Pendleton County ran its win streak to 39 with a 59-45 win over Greenbrier West in the Class A quarterfinals. Josh Alt had 25 points and 13 rebounds for the Wildcats. Elsewhere in Class A, number one man used a 32-point third quarter to pull away from Tucker County and beat the Mountain Lions 74-34. Zach Colbank had 16 points for Tucker. And in double A, number one Williamstown ended Moorefield's season with a 67-32 win. Coleman Mongold uh, led Moorefield with eight points. In high school softball, Alexa Shoemaker hit a pair of home runs and drove in four as Kaiser beat Frankfurt 14-3. Shoemaker's second home run of the game was her eighth of the season, which is a Kaiser record. And it was also her 14th career homer, which is also a Kaiser school record. Congratulations to her. In Major League Baseball, the Pirates were in San Diego again, taking on the Padres, trying to snap a five-game losing streak. There goes Gonzalez again. Ground ball on to second base. Cronenworth collects it, throws on to first. The throw home with Gonzalez coming in and scoring on the play. Gonzalez never stopped. He turned around third and scored from second base on a ground ball. Joe blocked the call. On the Pirates radio network, 2-1 the final as the Bucks snapped that five-game slide and their 22-inning scoreless streak. Uh, Mitch Keller, who entered the game with an 8.20 ERA, threw five and two-thirds shutout innings, and Brian Reynolds had two doubles and an RBI for Pittsburgh. Elsewhere, the Braves and pitcher Huascar Enoa had a grand old time in Washington. A one-pitch. Fastball swung on and hit well to center field. Retreating Robles at the wall. It's gone! The grandest of all home runs for Wascar Enoa. Can you believe it? To dead center field. He can't keep the smile off his face as he turns third to trot home. A grand slam and a 6-0 lead for the Braves. How do you like me now? The call on 680, the fan in Atlanta, a grand slam and seven innings of four-hit ball for Enoa as the Braves beat the Nationals 6-1. It was the first grand slam by a major league pitcher since the Reds' Anthony Desclafani hit one in June of 2018, and Enoa became the first pitcher in Braves history to homer in consecutive starts. And in Seattle, the Orioles lost to the Mariners 5-2. Rio Ruiz homered for the O's. In the NFL, the Ravens crossed enemy lines and signed former Steelers offensive lineman Alejandro Villanueva to a two-year deal. Uh, the deal was worth $14 million bucks with $8 mil guaranteed. Now, Villanueva, a two-time Pro Bowler, played the last six seasons at left tackle in Pittsburgh, but will play right tackle in Baltimore, essentially taking the place of Orlando Brown Jr. On the ice last night, the Penguins were trying to move back into first place in the East Division. Gensel behind his back, Rust Crosby fires, he scores! 
Sidney Crosby again. Still amazes me. Steve Mears and Bob Airy, the very short call on AT&T Sportsnet. Two goals and an assist for Crosby uh, to lead the Pens past the Flyers 7-3 in Philly. With the victory, the Pens move two points ahead of Washington for first place in the East. Tonight, the Caps will try to keep pace, and they take on the Rangers in New York in what should be a very interesting game, and we'll talk about that here in just a bit. And tonight in the NBA, the Red Hot Wizards hit the road to take on the Bucks. Washington has won 13 of its last 16 games. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Kappa Rally Group. Now, Washington, uh, the Wizards, that is. Again, 13 of 16 in that 10th spot in the Eastern Conference, a half game behind Indiana. The Pacers also in action tonight. A little bit of an easier task, I would think, as the Pacers are at home against Sacramento. The Wizards have to take on Giannis and the Bucks in Milwaukee. And in order for them to win, it's going to be half of Bradley Beal and, of course, Russell Westbrook. Westbrook has been going off lately. We talked about his huge game on Monday night when he went for 14 points, 21 rebounds, and 24 assists. And he has 32 triple-doubles on the year. And it'll take all hands on deck tonight for the Wizards to uh, beat the Bucs and at least try to keep pace uh, with, uh, no pun intended, the Pacers. Now, after that game Monday night, uh, Wizards head coach Scott Brooks, a very high praise, as you would expect, for Russell Westbrook. And Brooks went so far as to say that he thought that Westbrook would end up like the third best point guard in the history of the league. Now he kind of changed his mind and said he'll be the second one. Like Magic Johnson's top of the mountain, and Russell Westbrook will end up as the second best point guard of all time. That opinion by Coach Brooks did not escape the guys uh, at PTI. I'm not in Scott Brooks' mind, so I don't know who Scott Brooks had as the top three point guards. But I can tell you categorically, Russell Westbrook isn't one of the top three point guards. Magic is the greatest ever. Russell Westbrook is not as good as Oscar Robertson, who invented the triple-double. He's not as good as Isaiah Thomas. He has no rings. You have to have, it matters if you have rings. I'll give you two guys on the same line as Russell Westbrook who have no rings. All right, John Stockton and Steve Nash. They're riding on the same line. I will tell you that this year, the way James Harden is playing, he's having every bit the year that Russell Westbrook is having. And, And Mike, I love Russell Westbrook. All right, the trade that the Wizards made to get him for John Wall. I know you went crazy that night. He's a far superior player, and he cares more about getting all of his teammates to be superior players. But please, please don't tell me he's the second greatest point guard ever. Go ahead. Well, I'm not going to put him above Oscar. I'm not. And I'm not going to put him ahead of Isaiah. So I'm sort of in the same thing as you. But, Tony, when you start talking about top four and five and six of all time, what Russell Westbrook is doing right now in the final third of this season with Bradley Beal as his tag team partner, my God, Tony, I'm going to say this out loud, and and people are going to go crazy, you're going to go crazy. They've beaten the Brooklyn Nets a couple of times this year, and the Nets didn't have all their people because they never have all their people. But if there's one team 
that the Nets would rather probably not play in the first round. It's Washington because of Westbrook, whatever number you have him slated at as point guard of all time, and Bradley Beal because they got two guys who are studs. I don't think they can win the series, but I think they can scare the hell out of Brooklyn. Westbrook okay. in this final third, Tony, with these numbers he's putting up, he is up there in the great in the conversation of great point guard runs of all time. And I have some of the That's people fine, that you have ahead of him. Okay, look, they're not going to do anything with the Nets. They're lucky to get into the main draw. They're lucky. You got to have rings if you're one of the great point guards of all time. I'm going to give you four people with multiple rings who played that position. Bob Cousy, Walt Frazier, Dennis Johnson, Steph Curry. I, I, come on. They're all great. This is, you're uh, listen, running a team. I, and, and I love Westbrook. But you know, right his, his now, rebounding numbers are astonishing. Tony, Tony, I guarantee you none of those other guys, and by the way, they're all-time greats. Maybe Frazier was a great rebounder at that position. People don't even know who Frazier is now unless they're 60 years old. But, Tony... 24 rebounds. The rebounding numbers are the greatest rebounding numbers of any guard of all time. Yeah. They are. 16. I understand. But you cannot. Scott Brooks saying he's going to go out as the second greatest point nah, guard of all that's time. That's a little high for me. You, got, you know what? Me. Pay attention what? to history. Respect <laughs> history a little bit. Okay? Okay. Let's move on. Put some on. respect on his name. All right. So, a couple things. Why Kornheiser felt the need to put Dennis Johnson in there, I'm not quite sure. I know he was trying to make the point about multiple rings. But not today, not yesterday, not ever. Is Dennis Johnson a better point guard than Russell Westbrook? I'm sorry. Dennis Johnson had a couple players around him like, ooh, I don't know, uh, Larry Bird. Uh, I don't know, Kevin McHale. Uh, I, I don't know, Robert Parrish. Danny Ainge, I mean, come on. <laughs> Dennis Johnson uh, running point for the Celtics. I could have ran point for that Celtics team and maybe won a ring or two. No disrespect to Dennis Johnson, but come on. Give me the, give me the choice. Give me the choice between Dennis Johnson and Russell Westbrook running point on my team. I'm taking Westbrook every day and twice on Sunday. Because you take Westbrook – and put him on that Celtics, those Celtics teams, he's winning rings too. If you take Dennis Johnson and put him on these Wizards teams, and then the Rockets teams, or not Rockets, the Thunder teams before that, he's just Dennis Johnson. So I don't want to hear that. Secondly, interesting note there by Wilbon about the Wizards beating the Nets a couple times. Now it's hard to say without going back and looking at actually who played. Because with the Nets, you never know. Every single night, it seems like it's a different roster for Brooklyn. Right? The big three playing all at the same time. Is Kyrie out? Is KD out? Is Harden out? Two of the three? One of the three? None of the three? So it's really hard to tell. And we don't even know if all three will be available in the playoffs. But wouldn't it be amazing if the Wizards kind of stay on this roll, again, they're sitting pretty good. Okay? They're sitting really, really good in that 10 spot in the Eastern Conference. Because as of right now, they are two and a half games ahead of Toronto and four games. I'm sorry, three and a half. Excuse me. Three and a half ahead of Toronto 
and four full games ahead of Chicago. It looks like the Wizards, at the very least, will qualify in that 10 spot and then get into that that play-in tournament, which we talked about yesterday. Wouldn't it be amazing if the Wizards somehow get through that play-in tournament, either the number, you know, the, it would have to be the eight seed, I guess, and then run into the Brooklyn Nets, the team that was dubbed the NBA champions, even, you know, like as soon as James Harden got sent to the Nets to join KD and Kyrie, automatically the Nets were the darling of the NBA. The Nets were going to win it all. It's the biggest of the big three, and everybody else should just go home and not do it. Wouldn't it be awesome if the Wizards go up against the Nets in the first round and take them out? That would, and to Will Bond's point, hard to beat them a couple times. And if I'm the Nets, especially if you don't know if you're going to have all three of your big stars, that's one of the. I don't know if anybody wants to see the Wizards, really. If Westbrook is clicking and Beal is clicking, and you get some you know, good games from Hachimura, they're going to be a tough out for anybody. Now, look, it's also not outside the realm of possibility that the Wizards get into that playing tournament and lose the first game and they're done. It's. <laughs> They're just one of those teams because they've been off again, on again all season long. They hit a hot streak late in the first half of the season. All-star game came and kind of really just put that fire out, and they stumbled out of the gate in the second half of the season, and now they're they're on fire again, 13 in the last 16. And Washington, the Wizards, one of those teams that you're never quite sure who you're going to get from night to night. Bill's going to bring it. Westbrook is going to bring it. But you never know who else is or is not going to bring it for the the Wizards. So they could be a very tough out for the Sixers or the Nets or even the Bucs who they play tonight. (laughs) Or they could play the Pacers in that 9-10 game and and lose and be done. You never know. Tonight, a, uh, what's, what is it? What do they call it? The litmus test? Right? Tonight would be a very good uh, barometer, I guess. Because the Wizards, you know, again, if they want to go anywhere, obviously they're not going to be a high seed. They'll either be, you know, in that playing tournament, 8, 9, or 10. They're not going to catch the Celtics. They're two games behind Charlotte right now for that 8 spot. So they're obviously going to have to go through the, the higher seeds to get anywhere in the playoffs. So tonight, a pretty good test for them against the Bucks. In Milwaukee, which obviously they'll start a series on the road. I can't believe I just spent uh, 10 minutes talking about the Wizards, but it's exciting. Look, I, look, I've said before, I am not by any means, by any stretch of the imagination, an NBA guy. Never have been. Never have been. I watch high school ball, I'll watch college ball, NBA, just, I think the last time I was really big into the NBA was when Michael Jordan played. Right? Because that was my, you know, that was my time. That was my youth. Everybody loved MJ growing up, right, during that time period. Ever since then, and and the NBA really died for me whenever the Sonics moved from Seattle because that was my team. Growing up near Pittsburgh, we didn't have a team. Didn't have a team. 
So if you wanted to watch the NBA, you, you had to latch on to somebody else's team. You know darn well I wasn't rooting for Philadelphia. Not new. That's a no-no. If you are from Southwest PA, you do not look anywhere past uh, Penn State for fandom, right? You don't go out east. So I had to latch on to somebody, and I latched on to the Seattle Supersonics. Loved Michael Jordan. Didn't love the Bulls, but I loved Jordan. But Seattle was my team because I had to find one. I just picked Seattle just because. And when they left and moved to Oklahoma City, that's when I pretty much just like, forget it. Forget the NBA. And I've never gone back since. But seeing as how Washington is right down the road, and they're actually doing relatively okay, it's good to talk about. It's good to have them relevant in the thick of things heading down the home stretch. All right, time for a break. When we come back, we'll stay in Washington. And another team, the Capitals, and Tom Wilson, uh, speaking of being in the thick of things, once again. And the NHL completely dropping the ball yesterday. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Uh, Every now and then, you'll see it on the socials, especially Twitter. Somebody will throw up, and it's just for fun. Like, they'll throw up a bunch of foods or a bunch of drinks or like a bunch of movies. And they'll say, you you can only pick two for the rest of your life. Which ones would you pick, right? So I just saw this one uh, during the break. And it says you can only pick two. And they have these uh, desserts here. Like apple pie, banana pudding, red velvet cake, sweet potato casserole, cheesecake, pumpkin pie, pecan pie, pineapple upside down cake, and cranberry sauce. And I'd have to say, that if I can only pick two for the rest of my life, it'd have to be pecan pie and probably it's a toss-up between apple pie and cheese, probably cheesecake. Because number, I hate sweet potatoes. I can't stand them. I, so I definitely would pass on the sweet potato casserole. I just have to know who is picking pineapple upside down cake as one of their two for the rest of their life. Who? Is there anybody out there, out of that group of nine desserts, although I don't even know how cranberry sausage is dessert, I don't even know why that's on there. But who's who's picking pineapple upside down cake as one of their two eternal desserts? Probably the same people who put pineapple on pizza. I don't know. You know who probably eats pineapple on pizza? Tom Wilson. Look, we talked about this in length yesterday. Wilson was up to his dirty tricks again on Monday night against the Rangers. Uh, He held one guy down with a stick to the back of his neck and then punched him in the back of the head. And then he body slammed another player to the ice by pulling him down by his hair. That player, Artemi Panarin, suffered a lower body injury, and he is done for the year. Now, I, along with 
a lot of other folks, said yesterday that, you know what, enough is enough with Tom Wilson. We've seen this crap from him too many times. And that it was time for the NHL and the Department of Player Safety, which is in charge of player discipline, it was time for them to finally send a message, finally throw the book at Tom Wilson, and at the very least, suspend him for the rest of the season, including the playoffs. Like, it was time. All right, here's a cat that's already been suspended five times in his career for unsavory play. And quite frankly, being dirty and a cheap shot artist, that's what Tom Wilson does. So, what did the NHL and head of player safety George Paros do? They fined Wilson 5000 bucks, And that was it. No suspension, not even a game, nothing. Just a lousy $5,000 fine, which, by the way, is the most allowed under the collective bargaining agreement. And that $5,000 fine was for the punch to the back of the head. He got nothing for what he did to Panarin. Nothing. You grab a guy by his hair like you're some kind of first grader and slam him to the ice and end his season. Now, look, there's only a couple games left, in, like a week and a half left in the regular season. The Rangers already eliminated from the playoffs. So, you know, Panarin being out the rest of the year, it's not like he's going to miss 20 games. But that's not the point. The NHL tried to brush it off like, ah, they were just, you know, players wrestling around in a scrum that they always do. And that is, like, so not the case. He literally grabbed him by his hair and slammed him to the ice and ended his season and got nothing for it. The Rangers were absolutely lit up after the game Monday night, and rightfully so. And they were even angrier after the news of Wilson's quote-unquote punishment. And the Rangers, to their credit, and look, leave it to Tom Wilson to bring Rangers fans and Penguins fans together. But they came out swinging, the Rangers did. Not at Tom Wilson, but at the NHL. The Rangers, the organization or organization, released a statement yesterday which reads, quote, the New York Rangers are extremely disappointed that Capitals forward Tom Wilson was not suspended for his horrifying act of violence last night at Madison Square Garden. Wilson is a repeat offender with a long history of these types of acts, and he is. And we find it shocking that the NHL and their Department of Player Safety failed to take the appropriate action and suspend him indefinitely. Now wait, it just gets better. Quote, Wilson's dangerous and reckless actions caused an injury to Artemi Panarin that will prevent him from playing again this season. We view this as a dereliction of duty 
by NHL head of player safety George Paros. And, and this is this was the kicker. And believe he is unfit to continue in his current role. End quote. Period. End of story. The Rangers taking off the gloves and going right after the NHL and that clown George Paros. I love it. The league and Paros failed miserably yesterday in this situation. And I love the fact that the Rangers came out and said, you know what, get this Paros idiot out. And you don't, how often do you see that? You see a team basically rake the entire league over the coals and say, you know what, you screwed this up. This guy in particular screwed this up, and you need to fire him. I thought it was fantastic. With more on the story, uh, ESPN's Emily Kaplan, as soon as I can find the clipper, hold on. Here it is. Uh, She was on with uh, Scott Van Pelt last night. It is rare to see a team come out and criticize the league office, call for the head of discipline's head. Uh, But the Rangers just felt like their complaints weren't being heard. And it was a joke that he got to play. Now, I did uh, talk to some folks in the league office about why Tom Wilson wasn't suspended. And they explained it to me. They said the fall with Buchnevich, that was nothing really there. When he was on the ground punching Buchnevich, that's what earned the fine. But after that, they viewed the melee as just wrestling, something that happens in hockey every night. And the weird kind of part about it is the way the NHL treats discipline is, first they see if it's a suspendable play, and then after that, they look at someone's prior history to determine the length of the suspension. And obviously, Tom Wilson has a lengthy history. So a lot of fans hear all that information and say, huh, what? Why? Why are they still enabling him? And that's what led the Rangers to come out as strong as they did. Ryan Whitney, who is a former player and one of the hosts of one of the most popular podcasts, not just in sports, but in that space, Spittin' Chicklets, I'm paraphrasing here, but he was very passionate in his defense of Wilson and basically said he's on one of the top lines of the top teams in the sport and every GM in the league would want him. Now, he says that and others back Wilson and point to the fact that he's a talented player. I believe he's fifth on the team in points, but there's a much longer line, Emily, especially fans of teams that play him a lot, of calling him, you know, uh, a savage and a guy that ought to be out of the league and suspended, yada, yada. And that, that line's longer. And I just wonder what your sense is around the league of Whitney's points and then the points of the fans that, that point to his history. You know, you're a Capitals fan, and this might not shock you when I say this, but it might shock fans of other teams. I've been around the Capitals, and I've heard people say, if Alex Ovechkin was not on this team, Tom Wilson would be the captain. That's how beloved he is, and that's how respected he is. And it's not just in the Capitals locker room. I know a lot of other guys in the league who really love Tom Wilson, but I know a lot of guys in the league that are kind of fed up with his antics and saying, you know what, this is dirty plays, and how is he still getting away with it? And I did talk to a player today on the phone. We were having another conversation, and he said this, which I think sums it up so well. Tom Wilson is a guy that plays on the edge. I want him on my team. Sometimes he crosses the line, but... Why would he change the way he plays if the NHL isn't disciplining him and telling him to stop playing the way he plays? And the NHL will say, yes, we've told him many times. But, of course, the way that they treated this specifically shows that, no, they're not really trying to correct his behavior. Should he have been suspended for what he did last night? I think so. Um, You know, I think if the NHL is looking at the books um, and what they explained to me, no, he shouldn't have been suspended. But 
I test people, just look at what happened, look at how violent it looked. Um, this was a chance for the league to send a message, and I don't think they did it. Because the NHL is soft and weak. And secretly, the NHL loves this stuff. Secretly, because and they would never come out and say it publicly because they're so concerned about player safety. They love this stuff. Which is why, yesterday morning, when I was getting ready to talk about this, get ready for the show, I went on NHL.com, the league's official website. And I scanned the front page, the home page to their website, top to bottom, left to right, and there wasn't a single mention of Tom Wilson and Artemi Panarin. Not a single mention. There was a headline about Ovechkin leaving the game early. Uh, There was a headline about the Rangers being eliminated from the playoff contention. Not a single picture, headline, word about Tom Wilson. The NHL secretly loves this kind of crap, which is why the NHL is still fourth among the four major sports, why it's still a niche sport. And for the league to say that, oh, well, you know, what happened with Panera, and that happens all the time, no done. I have been watching hockey for a very, very long time. I have never, I have never seen a player get yanked down by the hair and body slammed to the ice. I've never seen it. I've ne- that is not, if you're not a hockey fan, let me explain it to you. That is not a regular occurrence in an NHL game. To grab a player by his hair and force, remember, they're on skates. They're on ice. You hit somebody high, or do something like yank on their hair, you pull them off balance, they're going to lose their their edges, their skates, and they're on the floor. They're on the ice. It doesn't happen all the time. It never happens. The NHL is soft when it comes to stuff like this. And to have a guy like George Paros as the head of player safety, you basically have a former goon Policing the goons, okay? You basically have a former thug policing thugs like Tom Wilson. And what you heard Emily Kaplan say there was right. Tom Wilson's on the top line of the Capitals. Tom Wilson is a good hockey player. He is a good, skilled hockey player. He's also a moron because he goes out to try to hurt and main players because he can't help himself. And what she said there about the captaincy Any team who would have Tom Wilson as a captain, you get zero respect from me. None. Zero. Because of what he does, the extracurricular stuff, which is why we're talking about this in the first place. To have George, to have a man who had 140, call her, hold on. To have a man who had 141 more fights than goals scored. To have him in charge of player safety is like having Archie Bunker in charge of putting together a unity rally. That's what it's it's like. And if you're too young, you don't get the reference, look up Archie Bunker. The NHL is weak when it comes to this stuff. They should have thrown the book at Tom Wilson, and they failed. Let's go to the rush line, 301-759-2628. You're up. Who's this? It's Dwayne. What's up? What's going on, man? 
Oh, a couple things here. First off, um, I didn't get to see the Tom Wilson uh, ruckus or fracas or whatever you want to call it. Scroll. But I do, I do know this. If Tom Wilson, um, well, I don't know this, but you might want to ask yourself this. If Tom Wilson was wearing a black and yellow jersey with a, a penguin on it, do you think you would be so upset? We had, we, we had a guy named Matt Cook, and he was a clown. Matt Cook was an absolute clown for the Penguins, and I hated him for it. Really? Yes. Well, I just know that like pretty much everybody's every team has a goon. You know, every team, to some variance of degree, you know, somebody has an enforcer. Somebody's got, uh, you know, that right. uh, Tom Wilson, like I said, I, I did not see what he did. I didn't, and I, I'll have to look at it again. But, or I'll have to look it up. But uh, I haven't seen what he did. But I've seen a lot of stuff in hockey. And, oh sure, yeah. It had to have been like super egregious, if you know, if if it was going to get suspended. Because, I mean, like I said, if if you're in if you're in basketball or football or any other sport. You throw a punch, you're getting suspended. Right. In hockey, it's a it's a thing. I right. mean, there's two dudes, they square up, they punch each other in the jaw, they get, you know, a timeout. <laughs> right. They they give them a town timeout. So that's the thing. If you want to police this type of thing, then you might want to start with, with that. But if you start with that, you're gonna lose a lot of fans. A lot of fans. Because that's what hockey fans expect and they they want to see that. So that's that's with that. My second thing is, um, the you you played a clip of the announcer for the for the Pens, uh, and they scored a goal. Yeah, that was the most god awful thing ever. Like they at least need to, uh, you know, do an impression of Myron Cope or something like that. They're gonna, <laughs> they need to do something liven that stuff up. Well, that was that was the TV call, it wasn't the radio call? Is always different. That was a TV call, which is usually a little bit softer. But I get your point. But still, they they need to do something. It's a it's a pen's goal. I mean, they they need to you know spank spank my butt and call me Charlie, oh. something like that. You know, it's a goal. You know, that's that's what I'm expecting. Right, you know, right, right, right. So, can you get those clips? Because he's he's always great. Oh, Mike, you're talking, you're talking, about, you're talking about Mike Lang. Lang actually, Mike, Mike Lang, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Lang actually took the year off because of COVID, so he's not doing any games this year. Oh man, yeah, that's horrible. See, I thought, I thought it was who's who's Myron Cope. Myron Cope, Myron Cope was uh, the the color guy for the Steelers for years. He passed away years that, ago. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mike Lang, he, yeah, he's the one. He's he puts the juice on. The, yeah, on Lang the is call. The, Lang is the greatest, and he only he only does radio. But this year, he actually he only did one game. He came out of, he's not retired, but he came out of this season's retirement to do one game, and that was it. Hopefully, he's back uh, next year. Well, if you if, if you can find some old Mike Lang uh, calls, you, you need to throw them on there. Can, I'll gold. do that. I can do that for you, Dwayne. Sure. Yeah. They're gold. I, I, I can't get enough of Mike Lang. So. Yeah, Mike Lang's awesome. All right, man. You have a good day. All right, brother. Thanks for the call, man. Have a good day. All right, 301-759-2628. I got to do something about that echo. There's something wrong with our phone line. When some people call, it, it, it my voice sounds distorted. 
Something's, okay, we got to fix that. But no, Mike Lang is awesome. Mike Lang, and I know I'm biased because I'm a Penguins fan, but I think a lot of other people feel this way. Lang's one of the greatest. And he's a Hall of Fame broadcaster. And Dwayne, I mean, some of Lang's calls, you know, scratch my back with a hacksaw and, you know, get that dog off my lawn. Michael, Michael motorcycle. I'll, I'll do that. Because Dwayne asked, I maybe mean, I'll uh, spend some time today putting together a, a Mike Lang, a montage, if you will, of goal calls. And goal calls on TV aren't nearly as exciting on, as on the radio. Radio hockey play-by-play guys are much more over the top, sometimes a little too much. TV guys just kind of let it play out. You know, they, they don't they don't really get too excited because you can see what's happening. You, you see the goal go in. So you kind of you're off your chair anyway. Radio's completely different. And yeah, Lang's one of the best. Yeah, Cope, good old Myron, man. Myron Cope for years uh was a did uh, the color commentary for the Steelers. And he was just he was one in a million with his, you know, yoy double yoy. That just his voice was not what you would call a broadcaster's voice. But he was a Pittsburgh icon. He, you know, he's actually the one who invented the terrible towel. But, uh, yeah, Mike Lang. Uh, so to, uh, to Dwayne's points, and he makes some good points there, the NHL has shifted over the past several years. Uh, every Yeah, every team does kind of have an enforcer, but it's not what it used to be. The, the game 15, 20 years ago is completely different from what it is now. The days of the goonery and the thuggery, it's it's gone. They have done, I think, a good job. I think nowadays hockey fans really don't tune in all that much for the fights anymore because fights are rare anymore in hockey. They just don't happen. They just don't happen as much as they used to. Which is why when Wilson does something like what he did, it, it even stands out even more. And as we talked about yesterday... It's not so much, like, you can't look at what happened Monday night in a vacuum. If it was Wilson's first offense, if it's the first thing he ever did, then obviously we won't be sitting here talking about being suspended for the rest of the year, blah, blah, blah. He's been suspended five times already. And he never learns his lesson. Never learns his lesson. Because the NHL doesn't force him to learn his lesson. And you heard Emily Kaplan when she was talking to SVP. She talked to one player, and her player said, why would Tom Wilson ever change if the NHL doesn't do anything to make him change? It's like having a child and not correcting your child. Why would a child continue to stop doing something if you as a parent never tell him or her to stop doing it? They're going to keep on getting away with it as long as you let them. Tom Wilson is the child because he acts like one. The NHL lets him do it, so he keeps on doing it. It's as simple as that. What happened Monday night, and Dwayne said he didn't see it, was it the worst thing I've ever seen in a hockey game? No. I've seen much worse in a hockey game. Back in the days of the thuggery and the goonery, I've seen much worse. Uh, Todd Bertuzzi comes to mind. But it's Wilson and his track record. It's a it's a cumulative thing. It is all of it combined. It was just another notch on his belt, so to speak. And the NHL had a chance to do something right then and there yesterday, and they failed 
miserably. So much so that the Rangers had to release that statement saying, George Paros needs to be gone. Why this? <laughs> and I go back to what I was saying before Dwayne called in. George Paros in charge of player safety is one of the most laughable things that I've ever seen in my life. This dude was a thug and a goon on the ice. He's not going to drop the hammer on Tom Wilson or anybody else. Scott Laughlin, uh, who was on the NHL channel on uh, satellite, Sirius XM, he tweeted this out last night. He says, you would think the NHL would at least have the common sense to suspend Wilson for one game so tomorrow's, meaning tonight's, Capitals Rangers doesn't turn into the total bleep show with him on the ice and the Rangers having nothing to play for. This league just never ceases to amaze. Scott is 100% right. Tonight's game could get ugly and ugly quick. Matt checks in on Facebook, and Matt says, as soon as I can find it, I don't want to misquote Matt, but Matt says something to you effect, where's my messages at? There we are. He says, I know what game I'll be watching tonight with the Rangers having nothing to lose. I think they will take Wilson out. That's what the NHL and that clown Paros and players say. That's what they've done. They have left it into the hands of the Rangers by not doing what they should have done yesterday and drop the hammer on Tom Wilson. If I'm the Rangers... And I, they are obviously not satisfied with the quote-unquote punishment. If I'm the Rangers and I want to get my pound of flesh, I'm going after them. I'm going after them. I am either going to, because they, got, like Matt said, they got nothing to lose. Their their playoff, they're done. They're eliminated. They they can't make the playoffs. Panarin is out. He's not coming back. So you want to call it vigilante justice? Then we'll call it that. If I'm the Rangers, I'm either taking somebody on my roster or I'm looking to minor leagues. I'm, I'm calling somebody up yesterday. And I'm going to say, hey, this is your job tonight. You see that guy over there with the Wilson? number? I think he's 43. Take him out. If the NHL, if the NHL won't police it, if the NHL won't properly discipline guys like Tom Wilson – then teams, they are forced. They're forced to take matters into their own hands. And I would not blame. I don't want to see anybody get hurt. I'm not sitting there and saying that I would condone the Rangers taking it. If I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to go after Wilson for taking cheap shots, I can't condone anybody else. So I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, I hope the Rangers end Wilson's career. Can't condone it. Wouldn't lose any sleep over it, but I wouldn't condone it. But I would understand it. I'd understand it. If the Rangers, as soon as that puck dropped tonight, if somebody went right after Wilson and took him out, I would understand it. Because that's the position that the NHL has put these teams and these players in by not doing their jobs, by Department of Player Safety not doing its job, and sending the message that the acts of guys like Tom Wilson simply can't be tolerated. 
And as long as the league is willing to tolerate it, then the teams and the players have to take matters into their own hands. Now, it could manifest into nothing tonight, although I highly doubt it. If the Rangers are truly as cheesed off as they think, as I think they are, tonight could get ugly. And we might be sitting here tomorrow morning talking about some real discipline and some real justice being handed down on the ice tonight at Madison Square Garden. We'll see. All right, uh, that's it. Show's over. We went way long. We even skipped the middle break. It's worth talking about. It's fun talking about. And, well, uh, fun's, not, fun's not the right word. Uh, anytime Tom Wilson's involved, it's not fun. Trust me. Especially for the other team. But if something happens tonight, we'll talk about it tomorrow. We'll also talk a high school basketball tournament. Day number two in Charleston. And whatever else comes down the pike. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah, see ya.